Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Just got back from the Menarca down in Mexico, all fired up about flying. We had a great week of racing down there, as we always do. So that was a blast. And I don't have any housekeeping. That's about it. 2022 is off to a good start. And I hope it is for all of you as well. And I'm really excited to bring you a bunch of great content this year. I've been recording like mad, as I've said in the last couple. So had a whole bunch of shows laid out for you over the next few months. And I hope you enjoy them. Today's show is with Johanna Ham from Sweden, currently living in Finland. And uh, she and her significant other both are big racers and they travel a lot and they're they're both on the world cup scene and she had a really exciting year this last year she got pregnant and uh ended up breaking the nordic fai record when she was eight months pregnant so you can imagine that uh certainly brought some attention to her on on the socials uh, both good and bad and so we talk about that and she talk about being in a relationship with somebody else who flies really hard chases it really hard we talk about risk, uh, how risk changes or not when you have a child. That was pretty interesting to me because I've just been going through that myself. And uh, a lot of other really cool things. I've run into Johanna in a lot of places around the world, usually at World Cups and stuff, and the British. And uh, she's always got a great big warm smile and she's got a great attitude. And I love how she approaches this sport. And I think you will as well. Enjoy this talk. Johanna, it's really good to have you on the Mayhem, see your smiling face here and talk all things flying in Finland and babies. And uh, you've had a big year and uh, it's been kind of a weird year for everybody, but you've uh, you've been stomping it. So excited to have you on the show. Hi. Hi, excited, excited to be here. Thanks for taking the time. We were We were just chatting it up before we started recording and you were telling me about where you are. I had to look it up on, on Google Maps. You know, we've all got a little bit of a fascination with Finland after watching Junie just send it this year. And he had that huge record, well, the two record flights and topped it off with that 500 plus. But what, right? It was 500 plus, wasn't it? The second one? It was 500 plus. Yeah. And I think many pilots have gotten their eyes up for, for Finland. But unfortunately, it might not be so weather reliable as uh, Brazil if you're searching for big uh, distances. Sure. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So you're down in the Southwest. And when I just pulled it up on Google Maps, you know, one of the things I've been impressed with when I've looked at his when his flight is just the water. Uh, tell me a little bit about Finland. You guys are surrounded by water, but then the whole country is tons of lakes. And there's a lot of water. Exactly. I don't really understand how it works. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty much, uh, well, it's called the land of the thousand lakes, which is... Uh, probably a bit of an understatement because there is plenty of them <laughs> and i would say that most uh, uh, most of the flying is probably good thanks to it as well because we have so much contrast it may be very flat country but since it's uh, fields and forests and lakes and swamps we get uh, quite good thermal triggers and possibly that is why and also of course it's quite uh, quite safe and nice when it's flat everywhere yeah, you don't have turbulence to deal with, I guess. Exactly. There is uh, pretty much nothing. And of course, I mean, valley winds doesn't really exist, only on a very minor scale. And uh, weather is predictable. And uh, since we mainly do, do towing, then uh, it enables you to take off in quite strong wind and just drift with it. Mm. So, of course, that's uh, the main reason why we have these big distances. And so the, it's all flat. How how far above sea level is Finland? What's the average? I would say the average is maybe around 100 meters above okay. sea level. So really flat. It is really flat, for and, sure. And If so, you go way up north, then you have some hills. Okay. But then you're bordering to Norway. Okay, okay. And his, it seems like the big ones are north to south, which is kind of the way the country's oriented. Uh, you, you were in the sky with him, but you chose a different launch on the on the, the 400 day or the, the other one? Yeah, it was a 400 day. So pretty much the, uh, the north to south flights. Then we have this cold, dry air coming in from Russia, which is uh, really good for thermals. And uh, 
I had chosen a launch a bit closer to the sea and also a bit further south. But unfortunately, it seemed like it had uh, it had rained quite a bit in that area, which we had not noticed. And uh, we all flew very fast, 50 kilometers, and uh, Yoni flew 400. <laughs> and I think Pekka Rautoskoskut was also flying 400, <laughs> landing close to backwards. So definitely the wind speed was there, but uh, the thermals were not really taking you anywhere. And what's what's the season there? When, when for those listening who you know been watching these big flights go down, when should we show up and bother you guys to take us flying? <laughs> you should, in that case, uh, come visiting in the uh, end of May, beginning of June. The thermal season basically starts in end of April, mid-end of April, and ends around August. And of course, it's possibilities every now and again after that and before that, but very, very rarely. And how, how tall do you get? And, uh, you know, the pictures I've seen of the flying, there's usually pretty good cloud streets. Are you flying blue days too, or is there just too much water and there's always clouds? Yeah, actually, I mean, for example, my big flight, that was a blue day. And uh, the blue days are actually, I like them personally. I know plenty of people that uh, does not like dry thermals, but for me, it's a, it's a good thing. Mm. And um, I would say we are easily flying 2,000, 2,500 meter base. Jeez, and of course, really? it, yeah, so you're, you're almost 10,000 feet off the ground. <laughs> That's pretty good. It gives you some so, room to work. It does, but then again, it's uh, often you can fly uh, still good cross country, being lower as well. I remember that I have had a flight where I never got more than was it one thousand two hundred meters or something, and I still flew hundred k. Wow! So. And you know, again, I'm just going off pictures. I've never flown there. That that part of the world, I've I've been to Norway. I was up there for the. The Winter Olympics, whenever that was, 94, was dating me. Oh, yeah, Lillehammer. <laughs> yeah, Lillehammer and Hamara is beautiful. Gosh, gorgeous up there. And uh, It is. A little bit in Sweden, but I've never done any flying. It just it looks awesome. But the uh, mm. from the pictures, you know, it's it, like you said, it's flat, so you can handle a lot of wind, but it also doesn't, I mean, is are there plenty of places to land? It looks pretty dense, you know, pre a lot of water and a lot of forest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, definitely these big flights that uh, Yoni and Pekka has been doing in uh, a bit more Eastern uh, side of Finland, then you have more forest, like in this uh, Western area that's quite, you have to actually search to find a place where it's not landable. There's fields everywhere, wow. which makes it of course very safe and nice to fly. And you were showing me this. I mean, what are the what are the sticky parts? What's the, what are, what are the tough parts about flying where you are? It sounds just idyllic. You were sharing me. You were sharing with me this map that uh, another pilot created called Avia Maps. And those of you listening, I'll have this link on the on the show notes because this is terrific. It shows all the airspace and no tams and everything. Yes, it's actually a huge benefit as well to have this. Uh real updated information about everything and not having to search from different sources to know what is not allowed to fly into and uh, so on. And also it can, contains a lot of different uh, information like opening hours of the of the towers and such. And I mean, in, in general, we are operating from, uh, from airfields, which means that we are flying with aviation radio oh, okay. to be able to communicate with the other traffic. So are you all ham operators? You yes. have your ham license? Okay. Yeah. So you carry exactly. an airband radio with you when you fly. Yeah. Is that a is that a requirement? Is that a regulation flying in Finland? Uh it's not a regulation, but I think it is recommended. And at least I mean if you're flying somewhere where there is not other traffic, then of course it's not needed. But if you're operating from an airfield, then you have to be able to communicate with the others. Or if you have someone that you're flying with that does have one. Okay. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, I would say we that should that all have them be... anyway. We should all have our ham licenses and be flying with them anyway. But Yeah, um... that's true. But how is it? At least in Sweden, I know there are some hiccups uh, regarding it in the regulations that somehow the, how was it? The radio installation have to be approved somehow, which is, of course, not really possible on a, on a paraglider. Right. And are you talking to the cockpits a lot? Is there a lot of air traffic in Finland? Is there a lot of planes flying around and you're, you know, hey, we're flying, just heads up? 
yeah, there is quite a bit of a uh, bit of traffic. This, you know, hobby aviation traffic. There's plenty of sailplanes and uh, gyros and uh, other just private small planes. And uh, of course, we are communicating with them. But it's uh, most often you're just approaching an airfield, informing that you're in the area, see if someone is there, continuing. Mm. Mm. But it also opens up the possibility to um, file a flight plan and fly through control airspace if they allow you in. Oh, okay. Wow, interesting. Yeah, we don't fly with a lot of airspace here, so we're all kind of novices when it comes to that. Whenever I'm in the X-House, that's one of my biggest fears. And they're, you know, they used to not care unless it was the really serious ones, you know, the CTRs and stuff. And now it's the national parks and, you know, it's gotten really complicated. Everywhere. It's gotten really complicated mm -hmm. to just make a course, you know, a race course that avoids most of it. So I, I feel for mm. the, the organizers as well. It's just, it's gotten really tricky and it always gets a few athletes. It always gets a few, but um, it's good to, it's good that you can fly there and learn it. Yeah. And of course, especially down on the continent, it's, uh, it's just so much tighter in between the, uh, the big airports as well. So no wonder. Yeah. Here it's yeah. a small country. We have quite many airports as well, but they are having quite limited amount of traffic at least. So plenty of them are, for example, only open in the weeks and not in the weekends. Mm. So I, in, in our, you know, the previous years, uh, I've been doing comps a little longer than you have, but you know, we <laughs> see each other at comps all the time. And I know you're planning on going down to Rolde Neo this year for some reason, I just never connected that you were doing these big flights in the flats of Flint. Do you, do you consider yourself a flatland pilot or a mountain pilot or both? Oh, very good question. Maybe I'm more of a flatland pilot nowadays, actually. Hmm. I do enjoy it a lot, at least. It's very, it's very calm. Yeah. Flying there. Yeah. It's so. nice not to deal with turbulence and lee, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not that. No, and maybe I've realized as well that uh, I'm not as willing nowadays to just be very, very close to the ridges and the mountains. So I have gotten a, maybe a healthy respect for, for it. Is that because of an incident or is that because of the new I little addition to is, your family? I think that is actually the addition to the family more than a, more than an incident. Interesting. Okay. So this is a good segue. Uh, mm. You just mentioned your record. You, you, was this the record you had when you were eight months pregnant? Correct. Yes. Wicked. Let's talk about that. <laughs> That's going to raise some eyebrows here. <laughs> well, I, I was not expecting it either. I can assure you that. So the record or the baby? <laughs> the record. <laughs> the baby was pretty expected. <laughs> At eight, eight months, I guess it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a hunch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, pretty much it was, um, yeah, as you maybe know, my partner is uh, also a competition pilot. So he had the plan of uh, declaring the Nordic record triangle that day. And I was kind of, yeah, I mean, had pretty much settled that I will not be doing that big flights for the rest of the season because of, well, obviously what was coming. And um, this is your first. First big triangle, yes. No, your first baby. Ah, first baby as well, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much, um, I was thinking that, yeah, well, I mean, flying triangle, it's a perfect day for it. And uh, you're always in quite reachable distance to go back to the airfield anyway. So uh, I can check along. I will most likely not, uh, not manage it around, but uh, it's nice to have a plan. So yeah. that was pretty much it. And um I probably had one of the worst launches of my career, Ooh. actually. Um, we had 90 degree side wind because there was a lot of activity on the on the airfield. So quite terrible launch. I did lose my winter glove in the launch. So I only Ooh. had summer gloves, which is uh, less than optimal in, uh, in Nordic Finland. spring. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> well, and uh, let's see, first leg. Uh, it was quite slow, like the first leg always is uh, on a triangle. And uh, we ended up low after 30K about. And it was me and you flying together. And he landed. And I somehow managed to drag myself up from 100 meters. And then I just thought to myself, oh, dear God, it's so far to go. 
<laughs> because then it's like plus 120k that is written on the instrument and that alone not super motivated right there must have been thoughts going through your head is this what i should be doing or not or was yeah. There? yeah it was pretty much like but it was supposed to be his flight not mine i was not supposed to set this right, right. it was not quite my plan but it is a good day, so I will, just, I will continue. Let's see. And I mean, the the entire course line was along roads, super safe flying. I mean, I can land whenever; doesn't matter. So, so I slowly continue. So I reached the first turn point, and then uh, finally, the the conditions really started being like booming. And unfortunately, by then I was on a section of the track that has a roof, so it was flight level sixty five. Okay. So I couldn't top off the thermals either. Oh man! <laughs> so it's a bit of a Murphy's law, and uh, and mental wise, it's uh, you know every 10k is a bit of a celebration, and all of a sudden it's not three digits anymore on the instrument. And okay, that's a goal in itself. Now it starts to feel a bit more reachable, and uh, yeah, somehow it just uh, slowly got myself around. Wow! And, and yeah, yeah. No single cloud. Really? And completely blue. There's no cloud. Wow. You like the blue days. Well, that's really interesting. So you said uh, you, 160 FAI and that's the Nordic record. Is that, I'm not knocking it, that's an awesome FAI, but is that is it just hard to do triangles in the Nordic countries because they're long and skinny? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And of course, it's um, in Finland, it's flatland, which means a completely different story. You're not really getting any of the benefits of it. For example, mountain mm. mountainside to just be soaring off, going like a highway of it. So it's not possible to fly them like you fly them in uh, down in the Alps, for example. Mm. And uh, not quite sure why it hasn't been flown a big uh, triangle in uh, in Norway, but they do have quite unstable weather. When it's epic, it's amazing, but quite often they have a lot of wind. So it mm. might be why it's not so easy flying triangles there. Mm. Yeah. That's at least my theory. And where do you spend most of your time flying? Is it Are you mostly at home year-round, or are you spending a lot of time on the road and getting hours down in the Alps? No, we're plenty at home. And okay. then uh, just going for competitions. That's okay. pretty much how it goes, I would say. When did you start flying comps? XC or Acro? <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know you flew <laughs> Acro comps. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, I start. I did my first Acro competition in 2014, and I did my first cross country competition in 16. Oh wow! Were you doing any Acro practice with the little one on board? Not practice, but just I have uh, pretty much put the Acro on the shelf. I'm just flying, you know, goofing around over the airfield. What I can do blindfolded so yeah. uh, so yes i did some but not the, i don't think a re real acro pilot would call that acro nowadays like doing <laughs> sat and the wing overs and some loops and stuff it's barely regarded as acro nowadays and how old is your little one now boy or girl uh it's a girl she's now turning one and a half oh okay so have you had, have you had her up on have you, has she been tandem flying with you <laughs> no only in the belly only in the belly. I love yeah. it. I love it. We we took Fallon on a tandem and I I wasn't the pilot. I was just flying around Todd Wiegland, who's a really good acro pilot and really good mm. tandem pilot. And when she was 13 months and, uh, really? and yeah, and he did a bunch of, and I said, Hey, you got to do with her what you do with all your normal clients. So I want to see some helis. And so he did a bunch of helis and I was flying around her and I took video of the whole thing and I sent it to my mom. So her grandmother and my mom didn't talk to me for a week. She was so pissed off. She couldn't believe it. And I said, no, it's safer than driving a car. It's fine. Hey, it's nice to hear that someone is worse than me, at least. <laughs> yeah, so I, I applaud your decision making. But, you know, let's talk about that, though. Did you get some funny looks? Was this all okay in, in Finnish culture or, you know, in our flying community or were people kind of, whoa, what, what are you thinking? I think that, uh, yes, there was some talk mostly behind the back and in flying community wise, mostly it was positive mm. opinions, especially from, uh, from the 
females around. I have gotten some like interesting comments uh, that has maybe been not so not so thought through before they have uh, jumped out of the mouth mm. <laughs> from the persons delivering them. But uh, and of course, it's a, I can I can understand them because everyone is having their own like background in terms of experience. Sure. What I would say they can and can, or should not be doing in general and then on top of that of course you should not be doing something completely new when you're pregnant that kind of says itself mm. i would say do you feel like it affected anything uh, you know from a positive side you know do you, do you feel like your little girl is maybe a little more uh less risk averse than maybe some babies would be or i mean i don't know can you tell any difference that you know she came out and was just a little you know a, a crazy person you know just loved heights or whatever i don't know something different I don't know. I think she is maybe a bit more uh, like liking things that goes fast and a bit more action things huh. than maybe mm. other others. But I have no idea if it's uh, related to flying or genetics or whatever yeah. is related to. You, your your partner is so a comp pilot. Did, did, is he Finnish yeah. as well? He's Finnish. I'm Swedish, hey. by the way. So ah, that's what I thought. Okay, so yeah. you 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 guys met on the comp scene or or not how did how did you guys meet and how did how did that all come together well actually we met uh, i was in finland for a work trip and i brought my paragliding gear with me to see if it was possible to fly in finland and uh, and then after that we uh, kind of started dating after uh, meeting each other in colombia after that oh wow okay mm-hmm. uh and what does he think what, what does he think about you flying when you're pregnant? Is he supportive? Is he a little reticent? What? How does that all? No, he's been very, very supportive. But then cool. again, that that's kind of the thing because we were all already, you know, quite mature pilots by the time that we met. Yeah. So I had the acro background. He had cross country background, and we have sort of been teaching each other maybe a bit from the backgrounds that we have. So he started flying a bit of acro after that, and I went into cross country more oh, and more. Interesting. So your your initial your initial push was was acro when you first got into flying. Yeah, um, I start like I started, you know, like everyone more or less with an SIV and realized, hey, it's super fun stalling the glider. I want to mm-hmm. do this more. And uh, I think the problematic for me that was that. I never properly got the training time in because both combining flying hobby with a career and everything. And I was living in Norway at that point. And it just felt like the weather was not quite there. You got very few flying days in general. The acro training never got to a level where it should be. And it's all about being like fresh in acro. You need mm. to get the tra- training time in. Mm. Um, so I did the world in acro, mostly just because it, was uh, wanted to get more female so we could actually have a female category in the world since 16 which right. we did so we did i think that was the only time there has been a female world champion in acro mm. because both the other times it has been too few <laughs> right we couldn't do it. have great fun <laughs> down right. there yeah and um but after that it actually opened this great uh, acro spot in Norway, close to where I was living. Gondola up to 1,000 meters straight, you know, straight out over water. But I was the only one there. So I tried to motivate myself to train. And I just, uh, at some, like, if you're alone, your motivation runs out, I would say. Yeah. So I think that's what happened with me. But now it's a booming acro community there. Yeah, <laughs> but I was yeah, a bit yeah. too early. Right. And will you get back into acro, or you said you said some some parts of? Let's talk about your risk tolerance now. That now that you've mm-hmm. had your little girl, what what have you noticed that's shifted, if anything? I would say in terms of uh, like the first competition I did uh, after getting her, it was in Slovenia this summer, and I noticed that I'm not as keen on flying very close to the ridges and the mountain sides for example mm-hmm. but it it's definitely possible to still keep up by just choosing slightly different lines slightly more optimized lines and flying them a bit differently 
so it uh, in the end result it doesn't make that big difference at least in you know normal category two competitions of course if you go to a pwc then i would say you're going to be left behind but uh, on this level it's still okay um otherwise i think i've been quite aware of the risks my entire flying career and i'm just not so keen on taking them mm. i had some injuries in the past and i think it uh, it taught me a thing or two so can we dive into some that? of those or one of those or well, yeah sure yeah you know young and stupid <laughs> More. <laughs> yeah because you're so old now <laughs> exactly <laughs> no that was back in uh 2014 and i I managed to spin my cross-country glider when I was out flying really low. So I ended up doing a quite controlled crash and uh, broke my ankle. Okay. But two months on crutches, it still is a lot of time to think and quite frustrating for a person that, that is uh, normally quite active. Mm. And then the year after in an acro competition, then... Uh, Sometimes you're getting this, you know, hot head that, damn, this has gone so well that I feel a bit invincible. And I got that feeling for the for the landing. And this was because we were supposed to do two runs uh, this day in the competition. So the, run, the, the landing was on a raft on the ground. Oh. And still, I thought I would do a spin landing, which oh. I'm not very good at doing. So I came in a bit hot. A bit high, a bit fast, and uh, I managed to break my ACL and meniscus on uh, the left. No, right knee. Ow. Ow. Yeah. Shoot. <laughs> okay. So I, so I had those two, and uh, it taught me that, you know what, being injured, it's not that fun. Mm. Let's remember this, step back, think yeah. about wh what we're doing. Mm. And I, I, I find it's it was quite good timing because I was enough pilot to uh, to know what I was doing. I got actually properly injured enough to remember it. Mm. Yeah, and I haven't kind of gotten injured since. A, a moderately inexpensive mistake, I would call that one. You know, exactly. You, you, yeah, you, you need you need the mistakes to learn, but you paid you paid yep. enough of a price that it really set in. Okay, don't do that again. Ding dong. Exactly. So uh, right. <laughs> I think uh, I, it was a valuable lesson, definitely. Mm. Mm. And, and enough of a le lesson and maybe in the right timing as well. Yeah. Tell me about the your, I don't mean personal side of it, but your relationship. How, how does that work with flying, you both being pilots? Because, you know, a lot of the people I interview, a really common theme on the show and I think just in life with all of us is how to balance this, how to balance mm. what we do with life. Cause it is quite a, a time suck, uh, you know, chasing it takes a lot of time and, and money sometimes if you're doing a lot of traveling and, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's quite hard to find uh, for a lot of people, I think to find the balance certainly is for me, especially with family. Um, how does that work when you have a partner who flies? Does that make it a lot easier? Maybe it makes it harder. I don't know. I would say it make it does make it a lot easier because you have the same priorities. Hmm. So it's of course uh, I can imagine. I don't know. Do you have a non-flying partner? Oh, very much so. I've taken her for a tandem and three minutes into the flight, she's looking back at me talking about, you know, what are we going to do on Friday night? And, Honey, you're not interested in this whatsoever, are you? And, no, I'm not. <laughs> Doesn't have yeah. any interest. <laughs> you know, she thinks yeah, the Red Bull X Alps is, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, must be interesting for you. you know? <laughs> interesting little walk in the park, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's making, uh, like, priority-wise, it's making it so much easier. I mean, for an example, we have uh, pretty much whenever cross-country season is on in Finland, we do not make any other plans. Perfect. So it's, Great. yeah, because if the conditions are allowing for flying cross-country, then we want to do that. And, of course, we are sharing the days. But anyway, I was going to say, so plan, do you... Yeah. Do one of you fly now and the other one looks after mm. your daughter or do you get a babysitter? No, it's uh, we are switching days. So we are just okay. dividing it. 
And uh, of course, it's maybe in the end slightly less flying. But then again, we are also uh, like committing to going even the days that maybe is not looking so promising. And it has mm. turned out that most of the times it's actually working better than predicted those days gotcha. as well. Yeah. Um, and also trying to trying to help each other if because we both have quite uh, quite free uh, work. So if one has possibility to go flying in the week, then uh, either joining to assist towing or at least uh, being the uh, caretaker of the kid for that day. Right, right. So I'm like helping each other. So what will you do? You're because you're doing the World Cup and the Open, the British Open, right? In in Roldo, no, you do both. Let's see, at least at least the uh, British Open. I don't know if I'm getting selected for the uh, for the PwC actually. Yeah, it's pretty high level this year, isn't it? I mean, everybody's just yeah. dying to go to a comp, you know, for this last year and a half. Of <laughs> I think no people comps. are quite motivated. Yeah. Yes, very motivated. Well, so, uh, but if if you do both. Little one just comes with you guys. How are you going to handle that? No, my, I'm he always he staying too. at home. No, he's ah, staying at home. He okay. went to Argentina for the Worlds. Aha. You guys get to trade off. Yes. Nice. Okay. <laughs> oh, cool. That makes sense. It does, doesn't and, it? And if you, if you had a long break away from your daughter, you know, will this be the first big break you've had or was it, have you done this before? Well, I did go to Slovenia by myself, so that was about ten days oh, when she was okay. around one. So that was the long first long break, and that was like okay, both for her and for me. You're quite casual, aren't you? I'm, try, I'm trying to. I'm trying to <laughs> yeah, it was really dramatic and hard and brutal. I couldn't even talk to her on the phone. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. That <laughs> <laughs> was well, not so bad. <laughs> That's great. But she's uh, she, she's a pretty chilled out kid as well. So it's it's kind of nice. So she's happy with dad and. That's all yeah. fine. Mm. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Boy, <laughs> if you had given me Fallon for 10 days when she was one, I would have lost my shit. That was, yeah. I, th I mean, I think in total now she's four and a half. She, you know, I, I've maybe had her, just me, maybe six days total. <laughs> just, she needs mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She seems to be quite easygoing kid, so. That's great. Knock on and was this, th this is way too personal, but uh, was was this a planned pregnancy? You, you had this on the map? You guys talked about this or was this, whoa, uh-oh, here we go? Mm, it was quite planned. Okay. We okay. didn't really have any like big comps coming up the, the, that we wanted to go the year after. So we said, oh, let's see if it's... <laughs> so you were planning happens. it around the comps. I love it. You guys were awesome. That's fantastic. Okay. We got a pretty open schedule. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. And then of course, like COVID kind of happened, but that was not really <laughs> part of the plan. Right. Right. And so that kind of, have... kind of halted things anyways. Again, way too personal a question, but will you have more kids? Well, let's see. I have no idea. Nothing yeah. planned at least. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about, you said that, you know, some of the kind of comments that came out of people's mouths that maybe weren't really well thought out in advance you said mm. the, it seemed the look on your face was the the troubling more troubling ones came from other females what was, what was that no about? no no it was it was oh, not it from other females uh oh. okay we maybe did get some comments but then it was from non-flying uh flying related ones in that case non-flying yeah, that had some pretty strong opinions regarding it, and uh, oh, because their perception of the danger and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, no, otherwise, I just got some uh, some minor uh, comments from from guys actually, like, "Oh, but how can you be flying and so well being pregnant?" Like, well, to be honest, I did not get a ended up being a worse pilot just because. <laughs> being pregnant but i mean i did actually i did step down as well but that was early in the pregnancy so mm. Mm. yeah i mean you've got more ballast yeah exactly flies it better so that's why I, yeah but i uh, huh. yeah because i had uh, when i got pregnant i had pretty much three different competition gliders and sold one of them so i stepped down actually to the Sino, which also had like half a size uh higher weight span 
Okay. So I, which Makes just sense. meant that, I mean, I just had to take less and less ballast along the pregnancy, yeah. and then ah, you just get on the scale each time when you go. Okay, well, yeah, I don't need quite <laughs> as much water today. <laughs> um, did flying ever? Did it? You know, when you did the FAI, uh, you know, one sixty that took some hours. Uh, was it? That was did about you eight any, hours. Yeah. Wow. Did Did it take any? Did you notice any difference? Any kind of weird alien world stuff when you? We call that alien. You know, I, I always think of you know really long flights. You get on the ground and you feel really strange. You know, just kind of man. I feel like an alien in this on the on the ground now. Was there any? Was any different? Did you notice any difference between how you normally felt and when you're pregnant? Not really. No. Uh, I was actually surprised. I had expected I would feel a bit different, but uh, no, it was it was more of a mental struggle that I wasn't alone. Okay. And it was especially the last leg was super super slow. Ah. But because I had gotten like this last leg had gotten a slight tailwind, but it was very late already. So I mean the thermals were crazy slow. So the progress was like next to nil, and when you have already been in the air for about six hours, you just uh, you, you're struggling with the motivation, yeah, right? And still, is like, but it's so reachable by now. Yeah, you got to do so it. It's so close. Yeah, that it's just like try to stay in it. And uh, but I mean, the thermals were like you know zero point five one meter per second. So the progress slow is slow. Mm. Yeah, slow going. Were you getting <laughs> encouraging? Uh, you know, were you in radio, radio contact with your partner on the ground? Was he kind of like, yeah, get it, you know, or were you just, were you yeah, sort of? I think he own? was actually sending me some messages on the phone, like, you're doing great. Just uh, keep on fighting and <laughs> stuff wow. like that. So it was actually, it was really nice <laughs> and it was needed as well. Yeah. Do do you both help each other out quite a bit with, with flying? I, I'm wondering, you know, there's always that coaching dynamic between a couple that can be really tough you know so if you know there was a day back in the day when i was kayaking when i would teach you know a girlfriend how to kayak it just it very rarely went very well it was often better to put them in a school and you know because there's the personal side of things do you guys battle with that at all or is that something or do you even do it at all do you do you coach each other uh, we do coach each other and i think um I have the problem like strategically in uh, competitions that I'm the hothead and I ah. take very, uh, we used to describe my flying style as high risk, low reward Okay. because I tend to be uh, the one getting all the, the, you know, the competition horns growing out and then <laughs> I'm just full barring it from the starts way too low and, you know, in general doing strategically stupid things in competitions, mm, uh, whereas no I have, no, exactly. <laughs> Whereas I have a partner who is very calm and composed and thinks things through a lot, uh, a lot more. Mm. So I'm getting so he's good, good tips. At, so he, so he, he gives you tips about that, and and it work. It doesn't. You don't take that in a. Oh, you know, I don't know, because people can not in a bad a, way. A no. Not in a bad way. Oh, that's good. No. Yeah, but I know myself well enough that I I know that I am doing quite uh, quite stupid things in competitions hmm. that I should not be doing. What do you think if, you know, obviously this hasn't happened, it's hard to imagine something that may never happen, but what if one of you <clears throat> stopped flying for whatever reason, you get an accident or you, you mm. get scared or just whatever, it just doesn't have the zing that it once did and you, you don't get, you're not as interested in it and the other person really is. Uh, mm. What do you, how would that play out, do you think, or how would you... I think it would still be uh, like quite, it would still work out. I mean, that's pretty much how we are living, you know, in, in winter time, for example. Sure. When the season, when the season is off, mm. we're pretty thing. much, exactly. We're pretty much not flying uh, at all from October to if we're going to Colombia or some winter competition. But in general, we have a quite active lifestyle. So I think that will still be the same how do you tune yourself up for for something like roldo when you've had a long break that's a very good question because it's always that you are a bit rusty when you're getting there 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's sub-zero and full of snow here. You have no way to sort of warm up. But it's this mental preparation instead of maybe watching some watching some movies and track logs and uh, that type of things and uh, mm. you know, trimming the glider and then having a few days before the comp to kind of get the rust off. You try to arrive a few days before the practice day yeah. and get some get some hours. Mm. But I think I, it's kind of inevitable. You can't uh, can't really solve it any other way. Fortunately, Rolda is. I mean, it's not the strongest place on earth, no. and you can always escape to the flats and sort of calm down for a while. So that's that's. I mean, that's one of the beauties with the place. Yeah, it is very special. It has everything. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very special. What are your goals this next season? I have my eyes set on the declared European record cross country. Okay. But let's see, because that was the one that I was trying to do that uh, that very fast 50k day. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't okay. very much not happen. <laughs> uh, so I would say that that is maybe the uh, the aim for this year, and. Uh, maybe trying to get one more Nordic record would be fun as well. Mm. Where are the Nordics but the, this year? But, uh, the Nordics next year, is not uh, it's not determined yet. Oh, okay. Uh, it will be de- determined in the next uh, few weeks, I think. I but, always uh, enjoy that. I had a blast in Macedonia with you guys. That was, I'd, mm. I'd love to keep coming to those. <laughs> you are welcome to join again. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. We had a great we had a great Nordics in uh, Peter Bernard now in in, uh, in September. It looked like it. I watched that. That looked fantastic. Yeah, we had super tasks and uh, like strong conditions. High. It was fun mm. racing. Mm. Mm. I I want to dive back in just briefly into the risk side of things. Now that you're you mm. know, you've got you've got the little one. The the two accidents you mentioned, I wouldn't think either of those had any kind of fear involved with them they well maybe the spin but uh mm. i'm wondering if they if if either of those or other ones you've had have ever uh have ever Probably left you with a bit of a scared. fear scar yeah. yeah and just kind of a uh, it made you fly differently after that not really. The only one that like is sort of event in the air that I've had that has left any permanent, I would say I had a like proper cascade with the acro glider in Ole Denise in uh, 2015. And I think that uh, took some time to recover from. Mm. I was, you know, cascading you for, I did not go in, no, but I was, uh, there was uh, plenty of uh, falling involved and slack lines and shooting here and there. And, uh, not being right timed with a glider at any point. So I think mm. that took some time to recover, but I learned so much from it as well. Mm. So it wasn't, it wasn't totally ahead of you. You were, you, you understood, you saw it all. You, I mean, mm. People talk about that when they're, you know, when it's kind of above their level, mm. they, I don't know. I don't know what happened. You know, it sounds like, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like you really did. Yeah, I mean, it was still on, it was just this, you know, slightly above my level for not handling it correctly, but I understood what was going on, mm, which gotcha. uh, for that, I mean, in that essence, it was a very good uh, learning experience. I did not j- enjoy it even a bit at that point, but uh, <laughs> I mean, afterwards you learn, uh, you learn from it for sure. Yeah. But with a cross country glider, apart from, uh, apart from my crash, I haven't really had any, um, any big events, I can't say. But then again, the acro bi- background is still giving some. Uh, I have, of course, still gotten you know collapses and uh, proper blowouts with a with a comp glider, but it has still been manageable. Mm. You're. I, I wonder um, what would you say advice wise for SIV for you know budding. XC pilots, mm. you know, with your acro background, how much is enough? How much should we shoot for? What's what's the goal there? <clears throat> That's a very good question. I've been thinking myself as well, uh, like this uh, going to an SIV with a comp glider, for example. Mm-hmm. Because that's something I have never done. I have done SIV like early in my career. And then after that, well, you get a bit of a free training through uh, the various 
acro maneuvers you're trying trying to learn. So um, mm. I can't really say. I think it's very valuable, and uh, it can also, if you are inexperienced, it can also be scaring people, mm. which is not good either. So of course, it it depends on at what point you're planning on taking it, and um, kind of in what purpose as well. Mm. Have you done a SIV on a comp glider? No, I've no. I've done. Uh, you know, I, I I did a lot of stalls on my X Alps mm. glider this year. I did a bunch of training this spring over the water, mm. and you know, it's a proper two liner. You know, so it's mm. similar, but and it's pretty high aspect. I think the 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 uh, climber two is seven zero. You know, so it'd be kind of similar okay. to yeah. the old Ice Peak six kind of thing, but. Um, mm. I've never done any purposeful SIV on my X1 or the the uh, my gliders before my CCC gliders previous to mm. that. Um, I I was with I watched Cody do a ton of them on his Enzo two, uh, mm. just a bunch of acro stalls, and they're just they were just gorgeous. And you know mm. you're losing 15 feet tops, just nothing, and mm. uh, re really nice. And so. Yeah, I think it's a good, you know, it, for me, it's always just been, oh, I don't want to stretch this thing out. I just, you know, this this is my I have the glider. same uh, feeling, you know, exactly. <laughs> I, I feel very confident that, you know, I could do, I've, I've done a, a lot of stalls. So I feel very confident that I could handle it. But it's when it comes time to it, I just think, Ugh. yeah, I, I know that it's important. You know, they used to really say, yeah. oh, yeah, you just go out on your sea glider and do it and, you know, save that for something else. But it's very different. I think it's important that we all do it. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, it for sure is. I mean, I, let's see, I have gotten one full frontal that went to Kissing Tips on the Enzo in, in Mexico. And that has been the only event where I have, you know, stalled the glider out. Mm. And just uh, backfly releasing out and it was just the cleanest you have ever can ever imagine yeah. yeah and that was in you know full-on thermic conditions in mexico and still like oh okay hmm. no problems whatsoever yeah i mean i think i think having a really good back flies is probably the key in that you know just just a really yeah. okay just re okay just a second <laughs> boom mm. and then you're good you know i, I think that works mm. really nice to just have that confidence that's what i learned in only denny's you know when i went out there for some acro training a bunch of years ago and and i was trying to be really aggressive because i was over the water and i just really wanted to utilize this 10 days and mm. and i had uh I can't remember. It was a friend of jockeys on the radio with me, and he. You I remember one there. day, yes, and, and yeah. I had I had the one day where I I was I had done something too aggressively, and I was kind of in a was getting ready to go into a really bad cascade, and just mm -hmm. as he was saying backfly back, you know, right before that, boom, yeah. I did it. You know, I was in backfly and I was ahead of him. Mm. And, and then, it, then I, I really, for me, it was just a massive confidence boost was just, okay, I recognized it and I went to where I'm supposed to be. It was just yeah. a Actually, he was the one solving this big ass cascade that I had. Really? Yes. Because uh, I was supposed to do a course with him starting the next day, but I was already on the radio and I went, as I was, you know, plummeting through the air. And was kind of giving up because I had tried to stall it so many times and I had like kind of, you know, not released it in the right timing or something. And then at the end, like, yeah, Johanna, I don't know if you're on the radio, but do it again. <laughs> this time, just slightly slower and you'll be fine. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. You, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm amazed with is the, the SIV instructors, they see everything i i think it's really good training to go through what they do i you know seeing the guys that were driving the boats you know and just doing the towing and i i did a course with with dylan this spring out here in california and he you know i could see that those guys you know they were kind of apprenticing basically mm. that they were really starting to get it because i can stand on the shore and look up and i can identify what's going on but i can't be ahead of the pilot in terms of telling them what to do and these instructors that just do so much siv it must be really good for their own flying because they're they're always a you know they're a second of ahead of of 
the pilot That's quite amazing. all the time. It's yeah. really amazing. They see it as in real time. And I think whereas the pilot's always reacting, you mm. know, they can anticipate it. And it must be a great way to learn. Yeah, I can imagine the same. Flatlands. I, I want to talk to you about flatland training because you were in uh, yeah. the epitome of the flatlands. I, I didn't realize Finland was so totally flat. I was just looking at the map here. Uh, so you, you hit the terrain button and there was no change. <laughs> exactly. It looks the same. Yeah. It just tilted up. But uh, what what can you tell us about? Are there some secrets? Are there some things that, you know, you're, you're, you, you take, you fly differently when you're in the flats than in the mountains? Are you thinking about things differently? Well, I mean, then again, uh, the elevation different. It exists, which means that the thermal will still be triggering off something. Mm. So that's maybe the thing that you have to start uh, paying a lot more attention to the surrounding area. Like, okay, uh, antennas are normally placed on a small height, so antennas should be trigger points for example and then you're checking the contrasts a lot um imagining this uh, cold hot contrasts mm. like if you have a swamp for example that is in front of then a thermal trigger for example and these types of things uh you're still you're checking and of course you have to it helps if you are well known with the area of course but you can still fly great without uh, without knowing the area I would say, of course, it is the it is easier when you have clouds like in, in any place. Mm. I mean, that is telling you exactly where to go. Sure. But also maybe think a bit further that um, uh, if you have a small little river, then most of the surrounding area will be slightly more moist and most likely not be working as well. Even okay. though if it is this cold hot contrast. Um, so these types of, uh, small things. So you won't, you won't follow a river, but you might, you might hit it if it's perpendicular. Is that what you, if it's uh, pretty much you like the river valleys. I mean, it's not per, per se a valley here in Finland, but, uh, but still, yeah, it's, um, of course it can still trigger, but, uh, there is often a huge risk that it's slightly lower okay. and moist and not working. Okay. Tell me about when you said when you said contrast something that's I've always been slightly confused or maybe more than slightly confused with but when it comes to bodies of water I've I've found climbs on the windward side and on the leeward side and I and I never really know what to punch for you know if you're because the contrast is of course happening as soon as you get to the windward side but does it take a while mm -hmm. Or where are you well, trying to of kind of hover? I would always go for some like kind of obvious, you know, geometrical shape. Kind of a ball shape goes on to the, to the lake and go off there. But then, mm -hmm. of course, if you have a bit of wind, it will be drifting. So you may, it may be the windward side of the lake, but you're already, you know, quite on the opposite side of it by then. Uh, no, at least in my my experience, it's we are normally leaving quite um, quite a bit distance, like on the lee side of a lake, because the that's normally not yeah the end of the lake is normally not really working. Okay, so we're trying to avoid that area. Interesting. Okay, because in the in the Sertao, I had quite a few down in Brazil. I had quite a few saves just you know, it's windy, right? It's windy on the ground. And I had quite a few saves there just parking myself at the end of a lake. So then, you know, if I didn't get something, I could just ditch. And, you know, because mm. I always found it kind of scary to do it at the windward side, because if you don't get something, you might not make it across the lake. But, uh, but I would just you're, park you're myself having quite the big, big lakes as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good point. Okay. Yeah. That might be I, the, the difference. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to visualize that in terms of how it works. It's, it's hard to understand. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, if you're at the leeward mm -hmm. side at the end of the lake, all that air is just coming across all that cold. It doesn't have much to exactly. kick off. And yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I guess depends on depends on lake and place and uh, you know all the other parameters that goes into it. Yeah, sure, sure. What's your process, Johanna, for planning? 
you talked about your record. That was more your partner's thing. It sounded like you just, you know, he bombed out <laughs> and you, along. you made it happen, but yeah. But what, what do you take me through the process of, of planning, you know, a, a big flight in Finland or anywhere, but you know, uh, when you, when you were in the air to try to break the record the day that, that he did take me through the process and go, not just that day, but go back to, you know, what weather resources, forecasting, mental side of things, how are you preparing? Well, it's pretty straightforward, really. Checking windy, checking the, the wind on the ground. If it's launchable, preferably if you're supposed to go one way, quite rapidly increasing but landable wind. And uh, then, of course, you're checking the, uh, the thermal prognosis. And that's... Uh, that's, of course, one of the benefits with Finland. I think it seems to be prognosis-wise pr quite predictable. Mm. So most of the times they are accurate, mm. which is, of course, very nice. Yeah. So you're checking that and then uh, checking the airspace where it's possible to go. And uh, if you're planning a route, we are normally using the, uh, is it Fly XE it's called nowadays? Yep, XE app. Yep. 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 Yeah. So you're you're putting your task into that. Yeah. Are, are you are you able to pick up using SkySight or other forecasting models? Are 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 you getting much convergence in Finland? Actually, there is sometimes convergence lines quite close to the coast that we're getting. Mm. Okay. That does happen. So you're getting some coming and in I've I would only... imagine from the west. Yeah, and like I've only, I think, hit, hit it once and I didn't realize that was it. So I got scared <laughs> and landed. <laughs> that was stupid. And I will never hear Converge. the end of it either. <laughs> <laughs> Convergence is an elusive beast, though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah because I, I I'm like, okay, am I, like, am I flying something that I should not be flying? What am I not seeing? Mm. Why is it going up? Is it overdeveloping? Can't see it. Like, yeah. And one of the things that uh, I, I don't know why this hit me with such a surprise, but it did is, uh, you know, often conversions can be quite rowdy. And I, at least here in the, in the desert, you know, when we get, get into a convergence line, it's pretty hands-on. And mm -hmm. in my mind, I just don't see it like that. You know, you have these two forces <laughs> of air and they're coming together. And I see, I see that that would be kind of rough, but as it goes up, it should be, just should it be It should nice. be agreeing and nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the convergence in Valle is, yeah, it's a little hands-on, but it's, it tends to be mm. pretty nice. But other convergences, mm. been, especially in the Alps, I've been in convergences where you're just... Yeah. Whoa! Oh my God, this is rowdy. <laughs> mm. It's interesting. Yeah, I I have to admit that I don't have uh, enough experience to uh, say anything about the convergence here. But uh, at least what I did experience that one time, it was actually pretty nice and smooth. Mm. Yeah, I think a sea breeze convergence can be pretty nice. Mm. You know, when it's when mm. it's coming off the ocean, um, it, it's it's something I need to also work on quite a bit more. I think SkySight, you know, because it's built by soaring pilots, by sailplane pilots, it's I think they're they're really tapping into that. And I understand it can be pretty mm. reliably forecasted. So it might be mm. worth looking into up there in Finland. This would be that'd be a good way to go. Might be, yeah. Might tell be, me about might be, yeah. Uh, uh, Juni's record, uh, how much more is on the table there? How, you know, how extraordinary was that? Is that, is, is he just way more to go? Is that? I would say if you get that one magical day, because it's 500k, it was prefrontal, it was south to north, which is kind of unique. It's not happening often at all. But actually, he did launch rather late. So there's at least like one, one and a half more hour of day mm. to be spent for such a flight. So the question is, of course, okay, is the world record possible? Well, I mean, no one thought it would be possible to do 500. Yeah, sure. And that was possible. So, yeah. Extraordinary. And kind of the same because... Uh, First, it's like the dream li limit was 400. That got broken. And then like, what, one and a half, two weeks after 500 is like unheard of. <laughs> is it even possible? Records are meant to be broken, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. But of course, you have the benefit of a very, very long day when you're flying south to north. 
because I mean you have the polar circle up there. Yeah. So there's plenty of sun at least. And does your does your thermal window, you know, in around the solstice, how long is the day? What, what could when does it when is it possible to get going and survive and when is it when would are you almost certainly going to be on the ground? Cuz you said he launched think, late. Yeah, he did launch slightly on the late side. I of course these are different days, but we have been launching maybe at earliest half past nine, something like that, like nine, half past nine. And then have been flying until almost like nine in the evening. So a 12 hour day, but still, but I would say it's still like theoretically possible 12 hour day. Of course, it's not like Brazil that this will happen like every day for one week in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because the when I did the Alaska thing, I really expected the thermal day to be longer than it was. It was late. Mm-hmm. You know, we could often fly quite late into the evening. It, you know, it just didn't get dark until midnight, one o'clock, one a.m. But it wouldn't start for a long time, and I just. But I, was it then be, slightly higher pressure? How, you know, we just didn't have. I didn't have any access to anything yeah. the whole time I was up there. So who knows? I don't know. Um, but it was. It was really often we weren't really flying XC until you know, two, which is solar mm. noon up there, you know, because mm. the time change stuff. But yeah, that, that was, that kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that, but that might've just, you know, who knows, that could be all kinds of reasons, snow, water, mm. you know, high pressure, mm. tons of stuff. Mm. Yeah, because I've noticed that uh, like one of the things that they are complaining about in Sweden is that uh, it does not work at all. Flying high pressure and stable days is just, uh, it's just not working. Whereas oh. here in Finland, and it was kind of the same in Norway. It was not really working there either. But here it's working, but it's just starting late. So you can still get a like five-hour flight starting at three o'clock in the afternoon. Huh. Wow. With like strong, nice thermals as well. Oh, I can't wait to get up there and fly with you guys. It <laughs> sounds, sounds amazing. Go and do it? some towing with us. <laughs> yes, that's the other thing. I, yeah, we haven't done a lot. Of, we don't do a lot of towing down here. Got got a little taste of it in Texas, and some of it was terrifying. It's windy. Yeah, it's scary. But but that's of course one thing as well because it, I mean it's dry and hot and a bit scary down in Texas. I mean here. It, that's one of the nice things that it's not like it would be scary to land in the middle of the day here. Yes, it's completely fine. Nice. I mean, we're we're not having these uh, super rowdy uh, thermals that it would ever be a scary thing to do. I guess you just have to worry Which about mosquitoes. A... That's about it, huh? That's that's tolerable. Pretty much, they are actually quite lethal here. They're big and <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. Yeah, they're just no fun. But you're not going to die. Hopefully. No, exactly. It's it's going to be a cloud of mosquitoes, but uh, I mean. You'll live. <laughs> it's not like a grizzly will take you or something. <laughs> I think mm, you've seen worse. Mm. Mm. Johanna, I want to be mindful of your time. I know it's getting really late there and you have, you have a little one. But uh, one more question and then we'll we'll wrap it up. What skill – this is – I put out all these questions online and it, I, can't, I have fun just dishing them out at all the guests. What skill or thing have you learned from life or any other sport – that's helped you become a better pilot? Oh, wow. That's a tricky one. Um, skill in life. It might be actually computu- computational fluid dynamics simulations. Whoa. Okay. Because that, or that is going both, that's going both ways. It's something that I, I have learned uh, a bit of as a profession, but which is, of course, uh, corresponding to everything we are doing in, uh, in paragliding. Sure. So it's kind of helping each other that, uh, okay, in paragliding is uh, on a big scale and uh, most of the times it's on a bit uh, smaller scale on my computer. But uh, still, it's mainly working the same. I like it. For some reason, I, just, I, don't, I have to say this, you're just going with the flow. Johanna thank you so much I really appreciate your time and congratulations on the little one and can't wait to see you in Roland Neal that'll be a blast likewise thank you very much if you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable you can support it in a lot of different ways 
You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you. Thank you.